What's different about the 21st century workforce or the 21st century leadership? I'm not sure that it's different yet. I think it needs to be different. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey, welcome back, everybody. My name is J.R. Flatter, and I'm the host of Building a Coaching Culture. I'm here with my co-host, Lucas. You want to say hi? Hi. Um, I'm actually recording out of Colombia today, visiting family. Are you in Bogota or where are you? Via Vicencio. Via Vicencio, okay. It's like two hours out of Bogota. <laughs> and we have a special guest today, Mr. Glenn Powell, or as his friends know him, JT. Welcome, JT. Thank you. Thank you for having me, gents. It's a wonderful experience. Yeah, we're really looking forward to this and we're excited to have you here. So JT and I know each other, Lucas and I know JT from our coaching cohorts. How long have you been in the training cohort? Four, five, six months. Yeah, five, six months. I think it was about April last year we kicked off on the live the live sessions, which was cool. And then recently just completed this um yeah, that intense four day boot camp. Yeah, which was yeah, wonderful. Yeah. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Now you're in Brisbane, Australia? Yes, indeed. So Brisbane, Australia. So we've had some fun on some different time zones with the two uh, RL crew, and um, we were just having a chat about that. And the uh, the outrageousness of it was was awesome. You know, it, it really put us in out of our comfort zone. So, uh, and I always appreciate those opportunities. Yeah. So you're fifteen hours ahead of Washington DC. Yeah, exactly. So something like that, depending on the time of year. Correct. So we were starting at eight in the morning, which was midnight in brisbane if i if i got the time yeah right. that's right 11 p.m so starts. you were there mm-hmm. midnight to 8 a.m for four days you and a couple of your closest friends from were they both in brisbane as well they were yeah indeed so we all yes we all partied together yeah so anybody who doesn't know the 2032 olympics are in brisbane and so we're planning my 70th birthday party at glenn's house 2032 so you're all invited yeah yeah <laughs> I don't plan 10 years out usually. <laughs> Everyone is welcome. Oh, yeah, you do. You plan 30 years out, I hope. <laughs> All right. So uh, this is kind of a, an informal format where we just want to get to know you, Glenn, our audience, our business leaders and entrepreneurs such as yourself that want to get a coaching accreditation or want to strengthen the culture in their business. So building a coaching culture. It's all about building their leadership bench, getting coaches internally certified in their organization, but also getting coaches from coaching from coaches like you and I and Lucas. And then finally, how do you build a culture, a strong culture in an organization? That's kind of the, the heart and soul of this podcast. But really anywhere we want to take it, we can take it as business professionals, as coaches, whatever's in our minds. We have a little bit of a framework, and so what I'd really like to start out is just getting to know you a little bit and how you fit into this business world, the coaching world, the coaching accreditation world. So I'll turn the floor over to you, sir. Mm. Thank you, JR. Yeah, a little bit about me. Devoted husband, uh, dog dad at the moment, moving into the family world for us. The wife and I will be taking that step forward into 
the unknown of uh, babies at some point soon. We've both had quite illustrious kind of careers and businesses up until now, and we're shifting our world to this more conscious kind of family vibe. So, yeah, I've got a unique experience, I guess, in the fact that um, I have a wonderful employment and employer, and, and Larry is also one of the, the guys that's uh, been through these, these these coaching kind of sessions with us. So it's been a great experience to have an inclusive um, conversation with, you know, your superior, and um, more and more we're working on this partnership as opposed to this hierarchy. So that's probably a bit of a segue into, you know, how this coaching uh, culture kind of starts to play out in the real world. I've also... Um, bit of a serial entrepreneur. I can't help myself but kind of kick off things and over the years, a bit of an ecosystem of businesses. So I've been uniquely placed recently just to start to impart that um, knowledge and and kind of skill set into the leadership team within that world also. So from my day-to-day world and and working in a business and an organisation and seeing that play out and then also just as a leadership, you know, as an owner of a business, how to grow and, and build these guys and girls remotely almost because I don't work in that business and and it's uh it's you know it's had its challenges to understand how to kind of be be someone for you know for for a team externally to their day-to-day world so yeah entrepreneur business owner just you know team leader all these things and look over the years I guess I never to be honest saw myself as a leader and I guess more and more I learn about what it is from a formulistic perspective I was like okay cool I get it, but I'm the introvert. I'm the guy that kind of is happy to sit behind the scenes. I'm the guy that's, you know, a bit of a numbers man, but more and more I realize I'm the guy that likes to forge the path forward for, you know, the rest of the team. So I felt like this framework, the the, the lessons, the, you know, the, the nuances and the language and the distinctions and things that we've picked up over this six, seven months worth of leadership training which is what I thought I was getting myself into. And then it, <laughs> it turns out that I've, I've learned this whole new skill, which to some degree I'd probably practiced accidentally in trying to be an inclusive leader, be authentic, have congruency in my words and my actions, be humble, allow people to learn for themselves, all these kind of softer touch kind of skills, I think. And I am really passionate about that and moving into the next generation of businesses, business models, employees we, we we are chasing more than just the nine to five i think that's that's shifted a lot and the culture within a business is you know you do want to keep you you want to call it home and we talk about the fact that you want to be able to drag who you are at home to be who you are at work and that's kind of mm-hmm. you know we have chatted about that in even this, this boot camp just recently about the authentic self and what does that mean and you know the, the, do you get to wear pajamas to work because you want to <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe not. So then, you know, I think in, in general, the organization and professional world and allowing that personal and professional intersection that you talk about, JR, to happen naturally and probably uh, on an, at an individual level for every organization, I think that's the interesting part. So, yeah, that's a bit of, a bit of my blurb. That's good. Good stuff. So just looking at the screen, I know we have three different generations here. So Lucas is the tail end of the millennials and I'm at the tail end of the boomers. Where do you find yourself, Glenn, if you were to say which generation you're in? Yeah, look, um, so physically my body is 40, (laughs) but I perhaps feel like I'm about 23, 24. And look, and and it's been great for me. Like I I do get the, wow, you're you're young. I'm like, oh, well, I am. But 
I'm actually, you know, physically getting a bit older. So I definitely sit in between. I think I am in a wonderful time in life where I, I can see both worlds. I've, I've got a, you know, a great family and had a great mentor in my father in some regards with, with the world that I kicked off because I'm an electrician by trade. So, you know, went down this very practical path and to become a tradesman, which, you know, which is a lifelong foundation that I have, which is great to then probably moving more into, you know, how do we t- help this younger generation uh, understand how to kind of navigate the world? And likewise, what, what you know, it's a lifelong journey for us to learn what the next generation require from us too. So, yeah, I think I'm in, in between, as you said. Okay. And you didn't say that you're a triathlete also. You keep that a secret? Yeah, see, look, I'm, you know, I was writing some notes for today and it's like one of the things that came up is, I'm very unassuming and I guess I purposely try to be that, but more and more as I get a bit of confidence, if you will. Um, yeah, so triathlete, I'm a black belt in karate. I'm, I've traveled a bunch with my wife. We've, you know, got properties and we, you know, just, I don't know, we, we have lots of things, but we're very private, you know, and, and I'm very lucky to have a, you know, an excellent um, life partner in, in Emma, my wife, and that's uh, been the most important thing to me. And yeah, and I guess, you know, I failed a bunch too. So you, sometimes you just really don't realize the experience that brings. And you're also a bit reserved, to be honest, about sharing stuff because, I don't know, you get a bit of PTSD sometimes after, you know, being on the brink of, brink of bankruptcy and those types of scenarios really <laughs> push the emotional boundaries. And, and, and I guess I do want to say that, yeah, like having, having a family and having, having Emma go through those kind of phases with you it's it's you know really strengthens strengthens the relationship forever and i'm happy to fall flat in my face but i'll get up i'll get up again always basically that's my that's my skill so what are you noticing and i'll I'll ask all three of us this question now we started the 23rd year of the 21st century a couple weeks ago what's different about the 21st century workforce or the 21st century leadership I'm not sure that it's different yet. I think it needs to be different. I believe, and I know that's a bit a bit provocative in a sense that it avoids your question, but we're aware there's certainly an awakening, you know, and I, I don't, you know, not in a spiritual sense, you know, I'm a little bit, I don't mind to, to, to see the world as working for me, not against me. So, yeah, so the, the leadership is, um, Gary Vee is a, is a great example of him, you know, sprouting his, his words of wisdom around kindness and, you know, empathy and all those soft, soft touch, um, you know, not ruling by positional power probably is one of the simplest ways to kind of shift forward. It's more of this co-creation mm. mode. It's more of this partnership. It's more of this agile teams. I know agile gets a bit of a, you know, it's a buzzword, but, but it's the ability for us to shift from, from titles to strength based roles. So the ability for us to just know who we are as a person from a strengths and weaknesses perspective and and, um, and probably rambling a little bit, but this lateral awareness, it's not just this singular kind of outcome anymore. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's the emotional intelligence piece. How about for you, Lucas? You see me leading, you see others leading in your generation. And now you have a generation younger than you. Uh, it's hard to believe, but... Yeah, that's scary. People are starting to look at you like, they used to look at me. <laughs> Still do. And I guess to me, the the change that's most apparent is like the pipelines from like, you know, education to career. It kind of seems like it's less like, you know, prescriptive, like, oh, go to college, get this degree, get this job, you know, get an internship. It seems more like 
you know, people are embracing like the alternative patents and especially like, you know, you mentioned you're like an electrician by trade. I'm a programmer by trade and there's a whole lot more opportunities than that college pipeline towards becoming a professional programmer. So that's one thing that kind of sticks out to me. And then I know from your perspective, JR, you, you're always kind of talking about the, the 21st century labor market changing towards like the gig economy, which is also kind of mm-hmm. apparent mm-hmm. when, I mean, you go to Airbnb or Uber, etc. cetera. I, I do think that the hyper-competitiveness and the mobility of people in that labor force is really changing the way we need to lead. So if you're going to attract and retain the world's best talent, you better have a coaching leadership style, not an autocratic leadership style. So I think that's the biggest difference for me. So Glenn, you started down this road six, seven months ago, and you're well into your training. I think you're about ready to, in a few weeks' time, put in your package for accreditation. Talk to our listeners about that journey. And Lucas, you're on that same journey as well. Mm, yeah, thanks, JR. Um, the coaching journey. I feel like, I guess as I alluded to, it was kind of this natural inkling I had about, I don't know, contribution, being more conscious in the world, like uh, Lucas, you know, suggested shifting out of this traditional yeah, pipeline, which is a great way to put it. I had, you know, had not going through the traditional um, education system myself as in trades through to, you know, diplomas and, and um, yeah, one day MBA will be on my hit list and I'll probably do the MBA and realize it's everything that I've learned firsthand, mm-hmm. but it is still great to get theory, but the coaching experience once you learn it, I guess it's just this natural way of being. And I guess I, you know, and again, not to be too provocative with it, but yeah, coaching for me is the way of being. It's not necessarily what we do. Learning the skills and the, the you know, the line of questioning, the dialogue and conversation and just, you know, that there is a very simple but effective methodology to it. And look at it, it is relatively formulistic which means you get repeat results. So like as a business owner, I want things to be a process mm-hmm. in a system. You want to be able to rely on the process. Dad always had a great saying, and I don't know where he grabbed it from, but blame process, not people. So mm-hmm. it's always, you know, stuck to me that what what am I not doing? Firstly, you know, as a, as a, as a leader, it's always like I look to me first. I have a natural sense of res- responsibility. But then it's like, okay, cool, what, what weren't we doing, you know, and that doesn't mean people-wise, but, yeah, process-wise, technology-wise. So you're learning mythology, uh, methodology, you're learning language and distinctions around, you know, what, what things mean and, and whispers and and really starting to get in tune with the unspoken almost. You know, it's I think we were chatting about active listening through the boot camp and kind of made a, a realisation for myself is you're listening with your whole body as opposed to your mind. So it's really starting to kind of, Drop your own inhibitions to the side. Drop the ego. What's in front of us? What does this person need? Um, how can I be of best service? So that servant leadership really is, yeah, able to be produced through this 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 framework. So, how about you, Lucas? What's coaching all about for you? So, we mentioned kind of earlier, like having like the coaching be like your foot in the door towards like leadership soft skills. I kind of think that's a cool way of looking at it because, you know, you learn how to communicate and connect with people and, you know, mm-hmm. embrace that emotionally intelligent side of yourself. And and then you can bring that 
to the workplace and, you know, use it on your own leadership skills, managing mm-hmm. people or like, you know, at home, like with, with my son, especially like, you know, he's two and a half. So it's like, he doesn't get everything I say, but I still try to practice, you know, that, that connection. <laughs> Because I feel like, you know, we're strengthening, strengthening that over time as, you know, as he's getting older. And so I kind of see it, it's like almost one of these universal, like, skills that you can bring into these different situations. Like, I notice myself when I'm going through, like, checkouts or something and just having a connection with, with the cashier and just, like, trying to, you know, be more empathetic in general. It's, it's just, you know, I get more out of it and they get more, hopefully. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's funny because one of the things we talk about all the time in the cohorts are it's hard to describe the magic of coaching until you've experienced the magic of coaching. So one of the things I hope we figure out through this podcast and all of our different guests and conversations is how can you show that easily before we had two people in the cohort this time, and I'm sure there were more than two that were voluntold to come. And I don't need to be here. This is a waste of my time. And so 30 short hours later, they're writing glowing reviews and telling the world what an experience it was. Not because we told them to, but just because they did it ad hoc. And that happens again and again and again. And for me, I wish, I hope to discover how to describe the magic of coaching before you see it. So what are the, another thing we talk about a lot, you'll jump in here is this, you call it servant leadership. And in some ways I call it obligation leadership because the ability to lead is very rare. We can develop leaders and we do develop leaders, but the people who can put all those knowledge, skills, abilities, and experiences together and lead complex organizations, it's a gift. And as a recipient of that gift, which I think both of you have, I know both of you have, I feel an obligation to lead. And a lot of that comes through the coaching. We serve others by facilitating self-discovery in them, facilitating their growth. And at the end of the day, it's you mentioned it already, the personal and professional, the intersection of both the personal and the professional. So make them better parents, make them better uh, life partners, make them better bosses, better peers. What are your thoughts about all that? Yeah, to Lucas's point about the soft skills, and I mean, I I didn't even like to have small talk conversations with people. So to be frank, <laughs> this really has helped me just be in those seemingly uncomfortable because I was always trying to chase an outcome from a conversation as opposed to just being probably in it and asking questions and how's their day. And, and I really have learned to connect with people, as Lucas said, like it's, that ability just to have those uh, and look at the, the best thing, you know, these awkward silences are just the pregnant pauses and, you know, really mm-hmm. just being intently listening and um, allowing people to work through their own kind of space and giving them the chance. And I guess, as you're saying, JR, the obligation there to, um, so the team that I lead within, within medicine technologies, I'm just constantly trying to, to work out how to, you know, do that better and more and, you know, and what do they need? And there's, everyone has this individual set of, needs it can come back to a bit of a you know formula and framework and you know so now i've set up these one-on-ones that are just an open forum 
bit more of a peer-to-peer in, you know, half an hour. But it's just that, that space in our week and our fortnight that allows a different conversation, a different rhythm. As long as you're going into those conversations with no intent and no kind of preconceived ideas or there's no agenda, then that's probably coaching 101 is just really, you know, it is there for them, whatever they're going to say, you know, whether it's good, bad and different, and it could be about me as well. And continually chasing that feedback mechanism authentically. Yeah, but that, that, that just those deep connections. I've probably done that on a one-on-one level, like with longtime friends, but to do that just in a moment with a random stranger uh, is really what's probably come out of this for me also. Yeah, I mean, just um, from Glenn's last point there, like how you are experienced with having these kinds of talks, you know, with people that you know really well, like especially for myself, like I have a few like lifetime friends that, you know, we're constantly talking about issues in our lives and stuff like that. But the coaching skills are like, I wouldn't say like a shortcut to that, but it really facilitates those kinds of conversations. So, you know, I can kind of connect with somebody without, you know, having to know them for the past 10 years and without having to have that background. And I guess like part of it is like being vulnerable, you know, like opening yourself up to these people that you might not be that familiar with and and just allowing them to also be vulnerable whereas it more it comes more comfortably with people that you already know mm-hmm. so it's been really helpful there. let's talk a little bit about culture i know we mentioned the 21st century coaching culture but what does it mean to build a culture in an organization and what are your thoughts on good versus bad cultures seemingly very big topic I think the more I think about it, the more it's it's a combination of freedom and accountability. Like it's this autonomy that people are chasing to just get on and do their jobs and for that trust to be there. Yeah, like I, it's probably obvious, but you need to give trust before you can, can receive it. So I'm, you know, I'll let people do what they say until they don't, and then I need to hold them accountable to it. So for me, culture is is creating a high-performance team. What does performance mean? Well, it's, you know, that personal professional intersection as well. So it's helping people grow as a business leader within a business and also an owner. Everything around you, the success basically hinges on yourself growing. So you are the problem, but you are also the solution. So these types of, um, I guess, that kind of, culture i guess leads the way and you know that vulnerability congruency really is the biggest one for me you know just when no one's perfect call it as it is you know own up when you when you mess up and i've had to do that lots and you know within within my employment and within my businesses etc it's just the quicker you do it the quicker you accept that you know it's not where you thought it was going to be yeah as as how that relates to culture i think that's it like it's this messiness that kind of is is crafted in the battlefield perhaps you know um i've got this great great story a few years ago we did this 100 kilometer oxfam walk i think oxfam is an international thing the four of us it is yeah the four people you walk you know continuously for 100 kilometers i think it was about 22 hours straight but it and it, it's a therapy session <laughs> So, you know, you're building this, you know, lifelong partnerships with these guys walking along. And I guess the purpose of, you know, of that story is the fact that you just have to be doing the doing with people. It's in the trenches with them. But, you know, look, obviously there's a, there's a reason for hierarchy and chain of command and, and not everyone does every job. So the other one where I probably will finish on is clarity, clarity of roles, expectations, you know, like that gets very messy quickly. And that ambiguity just 
harbors inefficiencies, it harbors resent, it, you know, you don't get to succeed. People want to know the goalposts. They want to know how do I win today? And you can't expect that everyone understands the full context that you perhaps have as as the leader or that you're crafting, you know, and, and, you know, so having these coaching sessions, having these one-on-ones, having these huddles, setting up this framework of accountability, yeah, all of that basically, I said, I guess that's the stage for culture. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's all these little things that kind of eat away at it. And like anything in, in life, you know, like um, if, if you're trying to lose weight, well, it took you 10 years to get there. It's not going to, you know, not going to happen overnight. So culture is the same. Like it's a, it's a living organi- mm-hmm. organism basically within the business. So clarity, you know, conscious leadership, vulnerability, this authenticity, ownership, really, you know, everyone within the organization yeah. having their ownership. Yeah. Great. How about you, Lucas? So I knew I was, <laughs> you were going to come to me next. I had this nerdy answer where, so it's like, you've got like your processes and then the culture's like, you know, the second hand effects of those. And I'm reading mm. this, this book, 1776. It's about like the revolutionary American revolutionary war. It's talking about how the British soldiers like are obsessive with their like hygiene and cleanliness and they get sick a lot less and and so their army is like stronger most of the time the rebels are like constantly getting sick and smallpox and spreading diseases and so like the culture of the british military was like hygiene 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 or at least that's the action and then the culture ends up being that they're stronger because of that so we think about that in our organization like what are the things we're doing every day that are leading to those second degree effects yeah, I love how Daniel Coyle talks about it in the Culture Code. Uh, he talks about three things, having a sense of family, having a sense of security within that family, and then seeing opportunity within the family for all members, not just a select few. One of the things we do when we build a coaching culture is we go through the house of leadership, which you all are familiar with, and we'll explain over time on this podcast what that means. But for the first pillar of the house of leadership is principle. What's important to you? Because we believe until you can describe what's important to you, it's going to be hard to lead and it's going to be impossible to create a culture. Glenn, you mentioned clarity a minute ago. Clarity of those principles, hard work. If you're a for-profit business, profitability. If you're a nonprofit business service, not absolutely yes or no in any one of those categories. But you got to know who you are and what you stand for before you can start building a culture. And then in constantly in everything you do, communicate and demonstrate those principles so that people start telling the story about you. This is what they believe in. This is, what, this is how we do things here, either for the good or for the bad. So in many ways, your culture is your story. What's the story you tell yourself and what's the story that the world tells about you. And if it's not the one you want, like like you said, Glenn, it's going to take a while to turn that ship because it didn't get created overnight. I guess in a long rambling answer, that's what culture is all about for me. So what advice do we have for our listeners? You're in a, we're a global cohort all over the world, different cultures, different ethnicities, different ages. It, I've reminded myself a couple of times, Glenn, you're exactly the age I was when we started this business. Oh, wow. 
So, yeah, there's a lot of road in front of you, my friend. <laughs> Even more so for Lucas. What advice would, I get, would we give our listeners about building a coaching culture or being a coach or being a leader or being an entrepreneur? Uh, wow. Okay. Um, I know we're coaches and we don't give that's, advice. That, so that's we're gonna break that's right. Advice. That was like, we don't give advice. <laughs> um, so, so then I'll flip that around. And from, I guess from my, from my experience and what's worked for me, um, look, I've, I always work harder on myself than others. I do it with grace though. Probably a little while ago, you know, you start to beat yourself up, but I do it with grace, but I'm mm. always looking and being introspective, I, I guess, to just understand um, the greater context continually. So for me, it's working harder on myself than others, that kind of oxygen first style mentality also. So it's you're working harder on yourself, but you're also expecting the most, you know, for yourself, for your family, for the values that, that ring true to you then you can be a leader, then you can help, you know, others, you can contribute. So you do need to put yourself first in a lot of circumstances, not out of being selfish, but it's a bit of a selfless kind of um, vibe, I guess. That servant leadership really is probably what says that best. The other thing that, <clears throat> you know, I was talking, about, talking to my wife, wife last night, sorry, about what she thought I had done well over the years, you know, what, what did it mean and what, you know, where was I successful and, perseverance basically you know like this mm. continual journey you know enjoying today but building you know building tomorrow and you know I've, i guess i've been been blessed with a bit of a futuristic visionary style mentality it has also caused me a lot of anxiety and a lot of you know a lot of stress because you're constantly living into the future so i've learned to live for today those moments of connection with people in those moments and being there for them but setting a foundation and helping people who want to come on a journey basically craft that. Yeah, so a bit of a roundabout way to say perseverance, you know, that longevity over, over the short-term wins. And, um, yeah, look, to me, the, the one thing that I've always looked for within leaders, and, and J.R., you've been exceptional in this regard, is congruency. I've said it a few times now, but you really, like, accidentally people are looking for the stuff that's not quite right you know, like, yeah, you're saying one thing, but I see you, you know, over there or, mm -hmm. or and look, and, and back to the triathlete kind of world, um, you just being healthy in one area of your life will lead to being healthy in business, for example. So, you know, the way you do some things is the way you do all things. And that was very evident as a, you know, in karate, very heavily about leadership, but, you know, the way you tie your shoelaces, you know, as, as a young kind of, you know, student coming in or, or the way you enter the dojo, like, all these little nuances, mm -hmm. and I guess, Lucas, to your point about if those little things start to get forgotten about or they start to eat away at that culture. So hygiene, in your example, becomes the, the, the you know, the, the challenge that's greater than um, the action. So if they just kept hygiene, they would be in a position to, you know, produce the results. So, so is that is that of... No, that's perfect. Yeah. Thank you. How about you, Lucas? So... I would kind of piggyback on part of what I was saying about, you know, like doing how you do one thing and how you do everything kind of just in my experience, like if you're really like, if you're studying, like coaching and trying to get better at it, you'll start to see these examples, you know, in the books you read in the movies you watch. So I'll go more like, you know, what you're consuming entertainment wise, like you can pull out certain examples and 
certain metaphors that can help you communicate things better to people. So especially if somebody like, oh, if somebody's really into American revolutionary history, they're going to be like, oh, I know exactly what he's talking about. So kind of just being holistic in like your experiences and pulling those into your leadership. That's something that I try to do. I was just looking up. I saw this on a license plate that drove by me one time. It said, Rule 62. And I thought, that must mean something. So I looked it up. And it's actually Alcoholics Anonymous Rule 62. And the rule is, don't take yourself so seriously. Mm. And I thought, what a powerful leadership lesson. Because for those of us who are gifted with leadership and gifted with drive and resilience, like Glenn was mentioning, we, we can't often take ourselves way too seriously. This is true. We talk about creating a 30-year vision and then go making it happen, but then finding joy in your life every day. So that's the, the balance that you have to strike. Are you doing what you need to do to get where you know you want to go but there are no mulligans in life. So are you also experiencing joy with your life partner, with your family, with your friends while you're doing it? Mm -hmm. So that would be my one bit of advice as we talk about building a coaching culture. Do the hard work, but also don't take yourself so dang seriously. Enjoy the ride. So as we get ready to wrap up, we got a couple more minutes left. Well, two more things. One, tell us one of your secrets of success this far in your life. It might be related to something you've already said. So let's go around the room. We'll start with you, Lucas, our 30-year-old Gen Z. No, you're not a Gen Z. You're a millennial. Father, husband, businessman, computer scientist. So one secret um, for me, like I, I try to run, like I try to run long distance regularly. Make it make it easier for yourself to have a habit like that. So put out your running shoes before you wake up. So if there's mm. a barrier in your way, just like try to like whittle it down so that you can start that habit. Oh, I love that idea. I'm gonna start putting my running shoes at the foot of my bed. Go to sleep That's in your running idea. shorts. <laughs> How about you, Glenn? What's one of your secrets of, of success? Personal and or professional. Yeah. Um look a lot of what, what I've talked about, I guess. I'll probably close on this little little theory I have. It's 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 my Ironman theory. Okay. So the Ironman um, triathlons are you know a, it's a three point eight kilometer swim, one hundred and eighty k ride, and then a marathon run to finish. So I guess more specifically, the training involved. Firstly, as you said, Jr., you've got to actually enjoy the training because that's you know race day is just you know one, one day out of out of a thousand. So enjoying the journey certainly is there. But but when you try to piece together a training plan for the Ironman, you basically got to do these fifteen sessions in a week. But the way they're broken down, one fifth of the sessions are actually recovery. So they're actually like an active recovery, whether it's just a walk or whether it's a rest day completely. Three-fifths endurance, so actually pretty low intensity, what they call um, zone two. So really like your heart rate that you could do almost all day. And there's only one session out of five that is all-out effort. So we quite often get overwhelmed with 
life, which is kind of this purpose, that really there's, in my opinion, only only 20% of what needs to happen is of this superhuman kind of extra effort. The rest mm. of it is a combination of uh, rest, recovery. So I guess in the business world or leadership world, you know, one day out of your week would be, you know, thought-provoking strategy kind of mindset style day. One day would be this hard effort like sales calls all day, you know, choose a day and just go hard. But then the other three days are just routine. So it's that those routine days really that that take up the bulk of our world. So I guess, you know, how does it relate to success? Well, just choose one good day when you're feeling good and kick ass. Take three days of just doing what you know you need to do. And then one day you can just have as active recovery, fun day perhaps in the in the conversation we're having. Um, yeah, just I, I often yeah revert back to kind of human performance with fitness and how that relates to leadership and business performance. I appreciate the the training metaphor. No, that's great. I wrote that down. Mm. Yeah, so I'm struggling with what I would say is my secret because I've I, I felt like I was one day away from firing myself for my entire life. So. And also, work family self is very, very important to me, but you wouldn't know that by my work ethic. But I think the balance was right for what I wanted to accomplish with the skills and intellect that I had and the, the family that I had, my wife and four kids. So one of the things I'm most proud of, and you, I think you both heard me say this, in 20 years in business, I've never canceled a vacation. So take care of yourself mm -hmm. uh, and that family that you're going on that vacation with, even though your mind might be screaming with what's going on at business, what's going on, they need that. They need it from you. So work family self-balance, even though most people would look at me and laugh when I say that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Glenn. It's been a real honor to have you here. No problem. And you're our inaugural guest, and so yeah. you'll always hold that. We'll have to send you a plank that says Two Roads Leadership, Building a Coaching Culture, because you're, you're a plank owner. Number one. Much appreciated, gents. All right, sir. Have a great day. And, Thank you. Uh, see you soon, probably. Thank you. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again and we'll see you next time.